Good morning. Welcome to Bethlehem Lutheran Church, where God has called and gathered us here this day to receive His gifts through His Word and His sacrament. The Old Testament reading for the festival of the Holy Trinity is from Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal, that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle is from Romans chapter 9. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him, that he might be repaid? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the third chapter. Now there is a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with you. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, 
but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Athanasian Creed. Whoever desires to be saved must, above all, hold the Catholic faith. The Catholic faith is this. For the Father is one person, the Son is another, and the Holy Spirit is another. Such as the Father is, such is the Son, and such is the Holy Spirit. The Father infinite, the Son infinite, the Holy Spirit infinite. The Father eternal, the Son eternal, the Holy Spirit eternal. And yet there are not three eternals, but one eternal. In the same way, the Father is Almighty, the Son Almighty, the Holy Spirit Almighty. So the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. So the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Holy Spirit is Lord. Just as we are compelled by the Christian truth to acknowledge each distinct person as God and Lord, so also are we The Father is not made, nor created, nor begotten by anyone. Thus, there is one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons, one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. Come 
respect to his divinity, less than the Father with respect to his humanity. It is not trying to explain the Trinity. 
because the Trinity truly is unexplainable to us. It is simply trying to describe it. It's trying to tell us what the Bible has told us. To describe what we know of the God who created us, the God who saved us, and the God who even now is sanctifying us. And so, therefore, believe. Believe this, the Catholic faith. And hopefully you all don't get too caught up on the word Catholic. All that that simply means is whole. And so you can easily interchange the word Catholic and Christian. The Catholic faith is this. The triune God, one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance. So as we think about our God, we strive to ensure that we do not divide the substance. And when I use that word substance, that's a big philosophical word there. And essentially that just means what you are. So for instance, we all have the substance or the essence of humans. We are all human. Whereas God has the substance of God. He is divine. And we cannot separate the substance. All three persons are eternal, and yet there is only one eternal. All three persons are uncreated and infinite, and yet there is only one uncreated and infinite. All three persons are all almighty, Yet, there is only one Almighty. And of course, all three persons are God and Lord, and yet there is only one God and Lord. And yet, even as we strive to not divide the substance, not try and say that we somehow have three gods or three eternals, we must also strive to not confuse the persons. Because they are different. They do have their distinctions. One of the easiest ways that we see this is pointed out in the Creed in that the Father is not made, nor created, nor begotten by anyone. He is in fact the source of all things. The Son, on the other hand, while neither being made nor created, was begotten by the Father. And the word begotten is simply the word that we use for when a man has an offspring. So while we would normally say that a woman conceives a baby, we would say that a man begets a baby. And therefore, from eternity, for all ages, the Son is begotten by the Father. And then the Spirit is of and proceeding from the Father and the Son, but He is neither made nor created nor begotten by any. And therefore, we only have one Father, not three fathers, only one Son, not three sons, and only one Spirit, not three 
spirits. And they are all co-eternal and co-equal with each other. None of them is greater or less than another, even though there are distinctions between the three persons. And that is who your God is. Your God is this impossible thing, at least as far as our minds are concerned. He somehow manages to be three persons while still only being one God. Three who's, but only one what. And thankfully, our God does not tell us that we must understand this in order to be saved. No, he simply tells us that we must believe it. We must think it. Which is good because it is truly impossible for us to understand it. Though it is fun to try, it usually ends in a headache. You almost always end up erring on one side or the other. But the truth of what the Bible speaks to us is this. That whoever desires to be saved must think thus about the Trinity. Three persons, one God. But that, of course, is not the only thing that we must believe in order to be saved. We must also believe the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Son of God, who is at the same time both God and man. Which, in many ways, in the same way as we cannot truly understand the Trinity, we also cannot truly understand this. Simply must believe it. Believe that Jesus is God. That he was begotten from the substance of the Father before all ages. While at the same time also being man. Born from the substance of his mother in this age. Somehow in his person having two substances. Well, not confusing them or mixing them. Jesus is both perfect God and perfect man, composed of a rational soul and human flesh. Perhaps here we see one of the more useful descriptions of the Incarnation. That Jesus had the substance, the flesh of man, well, he had the soul, the person, the substance of God. Which therefore puts him in the interesting status of being equal to the Father with respect to his divinity, but less than the Father with respect to his humanity. And yet, despite that truth, despite how it might look to us as if he somehow is two, he is in fact one. Not by conversion of the divinity into flesh, but rather by the assumption of the humanity into God. Which means, therefore, that Jesus, not by a confusion of substance, but by in his person being unified 
as rational soul in flesh, is both God and man. And the reason that that is important, the reason that any of this is important, is because of the work which Christ needed to complete. The work of Christ, which includes Him suffering for our salvation. It includes Him descending into hell, rising again on the third day from the dead, ascending into heaven, being seated at the right hand of the Father, and from there, coming to judge the living and the dead. And again, the reason that that is so important is because of that last little bit in the Athanasian Creed. That those last two lines, which quite likely made many of you squirm a little bit, because it's hard for us to hear that at his coming, all people will rise again with their bodies and give an account concerning their own deeds. And those who have done good will enter into eternal life, and those who have done evil into eternal fire. And that whoever does not believe these truths faithfully and firmly cannot be saved. It's a hard thing to hear. Perhaps especially for us Lutherans who so frequently recognize the truth if we are judged based on our works, that we will fail. We squirm when we hear this. We are convicted when we hear this because we know the truth that all of us have sinned, that all of us have done evil, that all of us have fallen short of the standard that our Lord set for us. And even at the same time as we recognize the truth that in Christ and through His Spirit who is sanctifying us, we have indeed accomplished some good things. But those good things in no way outweigh our sin. We recognize the truth. That if we truly are judged based solely on our words, that we will end up in the eternal fire. For we are just as evil as everyone else. Which is why it's so important who our God is. Because our God is perfect. Our God didn't need us. He was perfect already from all creation. He was in the perfect community, the perfect relationship. He didn't need anything. And yet he still chose to create us. He still chose to create you as individuals. Because he wanted you. He wanted you to be in relationship with Him. Even though He knew what was going to happen. Even though He knew what He would have to suffer. He chose you. He did come 
He did become man for you. He did die on the cross and descend into hell and rise again on the third day for you. In order to ensure that you would be able to stand in front of him on judgment day, confidently and firmly, knowing that because of what Christ did, because of Christ's works, that you are righteous, that you are forgiven. Therefore, you can know surely that when you stand before him, and you are judged by your works, that your sins won't be taken into account. Because Christ already paid the price for them. Christ has already expunged those from your record. You are forgiven. Which means that when you stand before him on that day, that he will look at you. He will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come, enter into my kingdom, to the place that I have prepared for you, and live with me forever. That is the truth that we believe. That is the promise that God has made you. And yet, while we know that truth, while we trust that truth, sometimes we doubt. Sometimes we struggle. And yet the Athanasian Creed says that whoever does not believe it faithfully and firmly will not be saved. So what does it mean to believe this faithfully and firmly? Well, recognize the truth of who it is that creates that belief inside you. Recognize the truth that it is not your responsibility to make yourself believe. That it is not your job to save yourself. But that, in fact, God the Father sent His Son to die for. And that both the Father and the Son send the Spirit to you in order to do this very thing. In order to create the faith inside of you that we all so desperately need. And therefore, when you run into those doubts, when you run into those questions, maybe even when you struggle with the very things that we talked about today in the Athanasian Creed, allow God to work inside you. Wrestle with him. Struggle with him. Trusting that he will do what he promised. That he will use those struggles. That he will use those doubts. In order to make your faith even stronger than it was before. For he will do it. Because he loves you. Because he cares for you. Because he wants you. Now may the peace which passes all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.